My name is Pedram Rajabafid, and we at TMC aim to discuss and inform students regarding topics which aren't covered well in medical school. This interview series is aimed at answering the questions that medical students, interns and doctors-to-be have regarding the various career pathways for medical graduates. Now the views and opinions expressed here are purely personal and are not reflective or representative of the stance of any employer, college, medical service, endorsement or other person. Alright, let's start the show. Hi everyone, today we're discussing anaesthetics with Dr. Amin Sarai, who is an anaesthetic consultant. Hi Amin, thank you for joining us. Hey you can you tell us the, your story of how you've come to being an anaesthetist, starting from about when you finished medical school? Uh, yeah, so um, I, I did an internship at, uh, at the Austin, and uh, during that time I got to do some cardiology, and I liked the idea of doing uh, things with my hands, and I'd always thought I wanted to do that, but surgery wasn't really something that I was too interested in. So initially I had a sort of cardiology, a procedural physician type thing, uh, field that I wanted to go into and I thought gastrocardiology was a good thing um, I enjoyed cardiology but I also had a good friend of mine who was she just got onto the anaesthetic program um, and he really liked it um, so I took that on board I mean I didn't really have much to go on otherwise and he really liked it uh, so I did a medical year I spoke to some people and did a medical year as an HMO2 because I said that's probably best for anaesthetics um, and I did cardiology again and I enjoyed that but really sort of once I was sort of on that track during midway through internship I saw that's what I wanted to do so um, I then did a critical care year in my third year which was an there, there's different streams of critical care years some are ED based and some are anaesthetic based and I did an anaesthetic based one and then I got onto the program after that year and that's generally the way that you, you get on to the anaesthetic training program, having done a quick care year. Um, and then I just went through the program five years and now I'm a first year consultant. So um, I guess I was pretty impressionable. Yeah. My, my mate sort of liked it and I said, oh yeah, I'll give it a go. It seems <laughs> yeah. I like, it was procedural. It was, um, you know, I was doing short things with my hand rather than doing like long operations and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, having one patient at a time is pretty good. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about the, you know, your, 36 patients on your ward round it's just the one at a time which I really enjoy um, yeah so when you were deciding between cardiology and anesthetics mm. besides the um, I guess what your friends were telling you was there anything else that made that decision for you yeah um, I, I guess the the grind of daily ward rounds got me sort of I, I didn't really enjoy that very much yeah um, and I guess the anaesthetics is a complete antithesis of ward rounds. You've got yes. one patient in front of you, you look after them, and then you move on to the next. Um, so I liked, I liked that aspect to it, and I liked um, the idea of having skills that was sort of... I guess every specialty has... Yeah, you, you learn your own skills. Yeah. Um, but I thought anaesthetic... I liked the idea of being in a specialty where sort of every, every specialty sort of could require you and you've got end of the line skills sort of airway skills that no one else in the hospital will have and yeah so um i did i did like that idea of sort of dealing with critical care patients and and you know high stakes that's thing high yeah. stakes situations and that sort of thing so 
that's probably that's probably how I went from sort of I mean I guess some aspects of cardiology have those sort of high stakes situations but um, again often sometimes a cardiologist will call for help whether it's a code blue or whatever and then you're the guy who kind of goes to do that so yeah. I, I, I enjoyed that idea is there anything about the work of an anesthetist not so much the I guess the for example having one patient at a time or anything but the work and the physics and anything itself that drew you to it um well i guess i as with most medical students i think and junior doctors don't really know what anesthetics is about day to day we don't really know what anesthetists do yeah you you know you put someone to sleep and you wake them up and um having conversations when you get a referral from someone about a patient it's they're just referring to you because they've been told to refer to you. They don't really know what the issues are and yeah. that sort of thing. So I guess in many ways I was in that boat. I didn't really have a great idea of what um, an ethodist did yeah. um, in terms of day to day, but I knew that you know they were involved with critical care, critically unwell patients, and yeah. and that, that's I guess that's the reason why I enjoyed. I thought of going into anaesthetics. So now that you've come out the other end, can you give us, can you enlighten, enlighten us on what an, an anaesthetist actually does uh, and yeah, what your so typical day involves? Day to day, yeah. So from, I guess, uh, we usually know what list we're doing uh, before before we get to, to theatre. So you usually know the day before, particularly, or well, in private you certainly know what you're doing, but in public things can change around. So I'll just do a, a normal public day that I'd be yep. in the public system. So... You go, you go theatre might start at 8.30, so you might get to work at between 7.30 and 8, and you'd see your patients for the day, for the, for the session, for the morning or the afternoon. So uh, you'd see your patients, you'd have a chat to them, you'd assess them, you'd examine them, you'd formulate a plan, and you'd, you'd discuss that with them, um, and then, you know, get their consent. And, and you, you, you try to do that for the entire list in the morning, um, and then you bring them one by one round to theatre you put the drip in you might have a chat to the surgeons if something's um, complicated or you're not too sure what the actual surgery is going to involve sometimes you know most of the time it's very straightforward it's a cholecystectomy you know what that involves but sometimes there are unusual procedures you might need to have a chat to the surgeon to just check that you know what's going on here so you're prepared appropriately yep um you put your lines in you get the patients into theatre. You, you'll have your own anaesthetic nurse who you deal with one-on-one, which is, I, I guess, something quite quite nice. You have really small teams in theatre rather than big teams in on the ward where you might you know you might have twenty patients and you're dealing with five different, ten different nurses on different wards and stuff. So it's not really it's a team, but it's you really it's very disconnected. Yeah. Whereas with in theatre. You've got your own little anaesthetic team, which is you and your nurse. You might have a registrar with you. Yeah. You, you know, you execute your plan. And then everyone else in theatre is sort of together as well. So it's the surgeons, the surgical registrar, the scrub staff, the techs. You're all sort of working together, and it's a nice little team that you can get things done. Yeah. Um, you can be efficient and get through patients and that sort of thing. Um, and basically, you just repeat that cycle. You wake them up at the end. You bring the next one in. Yep. Um, and then the same sort of thing for the afternoon. You try to see as many as you can for the afternoon and go through the list. Um, and hopefully there's no complications and it's all sort of straightforward. Yeah. A lot of the stuff in public involves, particularly for anaesthetics, which is really um, unique 
it's it's one on one teaching. So I might have a reg with me. They're with me the whole day. Yeah. So everything I do, or they I try to get them to do everything. But I'm there the whole time, so I'm I'm there to teach them and that sort of thing. So it's a really it's a really privileged position for trainees to be to be able to have one on one consultant supervision and teaching for an entire day, day in day out. We're all about pointing people in the direction of amazing, easy to digest resources, and the Humorous Hacks podcast is just that. This podcast was started by Dr. Sarah and Karen while they were in medical school, and it covers a whole range of educational topics, ranging from things like hepatitis to a comprehensive how to be a medical student guide. I'm sure most of you are already listening to their podcast, but if you're not, I urge you to check them out. You can search for Humorous Hacks, that's humorous as in the bone, on your podcast app, Facebook, and Google. All right, guys, back to the show. So would you say your role um, has changed much going from being a registrar to now a consultant? Yeah, yeah. Or I guess maybe not your role, but your, the activities that you do. Because I guess your role has gone from um, maybe learning to teaching now. Yeah. Um, but the activities that you do, has the, have they changed much? Yeah, so uh, as a junior, you spend a lot... Of, as a junior registrar, you spend a lot of time being taught yeah but as with all um training programs when you get more senior you take on more responsibility for supervision as well yep um and i guess that's just devolved a bit more in that um so as, as a fellow at the end of my training you know i'd always have a junior registrar so i'm supervising them yeah um which is very similar to what you do now except now my name's on the on the anesthetic chart as a, as a as a consultant so in terms of supervising and teaching there's probably not a great deal more that I did that I do now from last year as a fellow um, there's probably a few more activities around the hospital that you get involved with whether it's teaching different departments or being involved in initiating research in hospitals and that sort of thing mm-hmm. um, and then being involved in more departmental business issues so making sure that the department is connected with the hospital and things are running smoothly smoothly and, and you know, dealing with teething issues that, that might pop up from time to time, which probably isn't the role of a registrar. Yeah, um, and what about as a fellow? What, what did your role as a fellow involve? Uh, so, again, I guess the more senior you get, there's an evolution of being sort of supervised completely sure. to moving independently. And yeah. so the, the fellows fellowship is the last year of training and... Um, you know, you're doing more lists on your own. You're doing more lists supervising junior junior registrars. Yeah. Sure. Um, often fellows are involved more in the hospital sort of data, uh, hospital activities, whether it's teaching, um, QA, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but there's probably, I mean, to be honest, apart from having a bit more responsibility and having your name on the anaesthetic chart, there's probably not a great deal different um, to what we did last year. Yeah. In terms of non-clinical work, do you have does does non-clinical work make a large proportion of your work, or and what does it involve? Yeah, so for me, I work um, non-clinical work is essentially what you do in the public system, um, and I work probably about two and a half day, half my time is in the public system at the moment, and probably half is private. Um, I do two days a week at the Northern Hospital. Yeah. Um, and non-clinical work probably takes up not very much of that. I think m- most of the staff anaesthetists, so full-time anaesthetists at a public hospital, take up the, the majority of the non-clinical work, whether it's research, teaching, 
um, sure. teaching sort of other departments. Um, like in services and whatnot. In, yeah, in services. Yeah. Um, in services or running courses for the hospital. Yeah. Um, things like implementing, if you've got a second site and implementing uh, new surgeries at a second site. Or, sure. So those, that's primarily run by the staff and editors who are there full time. Full time. My, my sort of extent in that at the moment is with teaching um, the registrars and also nursing staff and occasionally outside of the department. Yeah. Um, and just recently I've sort of, in, I've, I've taken up a bit of research, which is through the college which is a multi-centre trial, and we're just sort of recruiting the hospital onto that. Yeah. Um, but it, it's very limited is the amount of time that you have for non-clinical time when you're not a staff anaesthetist. Sure. Because so you you're mostly just doing lists. Yeah. Is that yeah. You're getting through the you're getting through the work. Yeah. yeah. Um, as someone who's just recently come out of the training program, how what's the time frame of getting onto an anaesthetic advanced training program at the moment? Yeah. So. Um, I reckon as a minimum, you, you generally need to do your intern year in HMO2, yep. and then generally people get on to a crit care year. Yeah. And I think after that crit care year is your best chance to get onto the program because you're, you're doing a lot of anaesthetic time. The people know you, you get good references and that sort of thing. So the majority of people get on after that, that third year and that, that sort of first year of anaesthetic time that you get. Um, a few people get on... Um, after, if they don't get on during that quick care year, they often do uh, a non-accredited anaesthetic reg year. There's only a few of those jobs around. Sure. Or uh, an ICU reg position. So they might, they'll do a critical, most of the time they'll do a critical care type job, yep. ED or something, and they, they might get on after that. So that's after the fourth year. Yeah. Um, and then even like just the further down the track you go, the just the harder it is because you're more disconnect. Generally, you're more disconnected from the anaesthetic department should yes. you do employment for the training program. So, I'd probably say ninety to ninety-five percent of people get on after their third year. Third year, and is there a lot of competition for the for the spots? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. It's um, I think everything's competitive. Of course, um, it's probably not as competitive as the specialty surgical positions um, because there's three training programs at the moment each training program in in Victoria has somewhere between 10 to 20 places so there's probably about 45 new regs every year sure um, does that a, make it quite difficult to obtain a job at the end of it uh, so it's it goes in waves so I think I don't ever think that people should be concerned about jobs down the track okay as to whether they want to if they want to do something they should just do it yeah um, because then no one would be doing anything, anything yeah, because everything's competitive yeah. um, so it it goes it goes in cycles so when I was a, probably a second or third year reg there was no jobs there were no jobs at all yeah um, and people were sort of going they were doing FIFO flying in flying out to country towns coming back and yeah um, but eventually they'd get work. Uh, the year before I finished and the year I finished, there seemed to be a lot more work around. Yeah. Um, and so I think most people got some work. Yeah. An event, I mean, no one, no one's, no one's starving. Yeah. You might not be working the amount or where you want, but sure. eventually, I mean, that comes with time. No, yeah. no one gets to do. If you, if you want to, if you want to be a, you know, a liver transplant surgeon, no one just gets to do their five years of, sur of surge training and just sure. walk into a liver and transplant comes job. It does. Yeah. You know, you've got to do your hard, hard yards to get to where you want to do. Unfortunately, it doesn't stop at the end of 
trying to get onto a program and yeah. unfortunately it doesn't stop when you've just finished the program yeah and it doesn't stop for a few years after that for many years for a after while that. yeah what would you say is the most satisfying part about anesthetics um or what keeps you interested in going yeah i i it's it's quite satisfying to give a good anesthetic in the way and a good anesthetic is an anesthetic that patients wake up they're comfortable uh, they have no sort of complications whether it's nausea and vomiting whether it's a sore throat whether it's if they just wake up really crisp and happy yep. and satisfied that's that's really satisfying um and the frequency that happens is just variable on a lot of, of different things the patients and that sort yep. of thing um so I think I think that's the most you know if they if if you if you have a chance to see them in recovery when they're going out and they're really happy, I mean that's that's pretty satisfying. Yeah. Um, satisfying to see if you've got a if you've had a like a complicated patient who's been quite complex, just finding out that they've managed to get out of ICU and they're pretty and they're well and they're going home and that sort of thing. That's yeah. again, um, that's probably the same thing that satisfies surgeons as well, seeing yeah. patients go home. Yeah. And what would you say is the most <clears throat> difficult aspect to deal with or the one that you dislike the most, I guess? Um, I think uh, there's a few. There's um, institutional issues that can yeah. be a bit uh, frustrating. Yeah. Um, but that'll happen in, in any... Everything. In any yeah. major, you know... That's not big, specific to anesthetics no, at all. No, no. Yeah. Um, uh, the other things that are probably difficult uh, uh, is, again, supervising trainees. Yeah. Because... Uh, um, as a consultant in a public hospital, it's your responsibility to teach. Um, yep. And it really, you've got to allow the registrar to be immersed in a situation. But obviously, with anaesthetics, um, things, can, things can be pretty perilous. And yes. patients don't have, some patients don't have much reserve. And yes. uh, there's not much time to do things. Things change very quickly as opposed to on the board. So finding the right amount of leeway in many in many ways it is leeway that you're giving the registrar to mm-hmm. to to try to you know to do a procedure or whatever and then being able to to identify when the right time to take over is and yeah. and that sort of thing so i guess that's a bit difficult but that's just part of the challenge of being a supervisor i guess yeah. um and we're lucky in that at the end of our training you know, the last couple of years you spend time supervising people and you know the more time you have the better you get at it as well yeah. so um that's probably the most challenging thing the the good thing though is you're doing that in a public setting where often often there's a lot of people around as well to help if if things go wrong they, sure. they don't often but yeah um i guess that's the other good thing about it how do you use your downtime during your operations uh during the operations yeah yeah so i guess so I guess once the patient's asleep and comfortable. Yeah, classically I talk, yeah, talk about um, sort of takeoff and landing, and the middle bit in the middle is cruise control, and yeah. that, that's often the case. But you know, often probably the majority of the time it's the case, but it's often not the case, and often you're busy during the case. Yep. Um, looking after the patient. Um, in the in the times that it's fairly straightforward, you, you, I use the time to sort of teach yep. teach registrars. Um, that's probably the majority of the thing, things you can do. You can also use, we're quite lucky in that you can use your time. If it's a long time, you can use that time to to do personal work, whether it's paperwork or yeah, anything. research. Yeah, that sort like of that. thing, yeah. yeah. Um, how are your interactions with the other, uh, I guess, the other people in the theatre, such as the surgeons and whatnot? Yeah. Do that, does that come into play when choosing anaesthetics? 
Uh, I think you need to be, for an anaesthetist, it's, it's pretty handy to be uh, not not necessarily laid back. I think I'm laid back, but I think it's it's important to be calm. Yeah. And be a clear communicator. I think that's pretty, pretty really important. Um, yeah. Characteristics of a good anaesthetist. Um, yeah. So I mean, I think most most theatres have a pretty good dynamic. I would have thought. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether interactions with surgeons is, is something that would necessarily put someone off yeah. per se. Yeah. Because um, you know every surgeon is different. Yeah. Um, so I think I think it's important to have good communication skills and be pretty pretty calm and, and clear in your communication. Does it and does it ever occur where like there's a disagreeable between, for example, the anesthetics team and the surgical yeah. team? And like how do you go forward with that? Yeah. Like, is it a person who gets the final say or is it more just a discussion? No, where... it should yeah, it should always be a discussion. Yeah. And at the end of the day we're in it for the patient. So in the end uh, the decision you come up with should be what's best for the patient. If someone yeah. thinks that that's not what's best for the patient, whether it's the surgeon or the anaesthetist, yeah. then that needs to be that needs to be raised and discussed. So I don't. If if there's a big issue, and and there's a there's an issue between the anaesthetist and the surgeon, generally, generally if you say the words for the safety of the patient, <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. think we should do this. Yeah. Um, I think that just brings everyone back to the to the same level. I mean, it's not often that you'll have major issues like that. Sure. Um, and when, if you do, you just deal with it in a way that keeps that that idea in mind. That, that what do you see anaesthetics in five to ten years? Do you see the work changing much? Uh, yeah, I do, and not necessarily in a in a positive way for our, for the workforce workforce point of view. Uh, in America, they use nurse, nurse anaesthetists quite okay. a bit. Yeah. Um, and at the moment, some hospitals around t- t- around town are using nurse, nurse anaesthetists for sedation lists. Yeah. So not around. Um, you mean such as like scopes and what? Scopes and that sort yeah. of thing. Um, and they're they're certainly using nurse endoscopists um, around town. Yeah. So I don't know whether they've started using nurse anaesthetists in Melbourne. But I think they've used it in other states. Okay. Um, so that sort of dim, oh, muscling in on the workforce could yeah. be an issue in the future, mm-hmm. but who really knows? I mean, there's been a, there's there, there's um, a, apparently a, a drug company that's made an algorithm for actual sedation. Okay. So <laughs> a computer does sedation for endoscopy, yeah. Um, yeah. and endoscopy is probably the most common anesthetic. Or procedure in Australia, yes. I would have okay. thought. So, so that, if that takes a, a hit, then a large chunk of our work might take a hit. Yeah, that yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, but again, we'll just see how how it goes. In terms, of, I mean, the college will. I assume the college will will do something about trying to Hopefully. make, make sure that crossed. everything's safe. Yeah. Um, because I don't have the same training as an ethicist and that sort of thing. So I mean, there'd, there'd be a lot of things that would need to. Uh, take place for that to happen on a more broad level but we'll just see how that goes in terms of subspecialties within anesthetics Mm. such as um, pain and whatnot Mm. um, is that something of interest to you do you plan on following a path Uh, I really like the general um, aspect of anesthesia just having special you know doing ortho one day general another day doing kids another day Um, 
I think, again, pain is probably, if, if you're from, the, the majority of anaesthetists probably don't enjoy pain a great deal. Okay. Uh, because it's so far removed from what you've been doing for the last few years. It's, it's, it's ward round, it's seeing chronic, often chronic patients um, with a lot of, which needs a, a really big multidisciplinary team, whether it's physios, psychologists, psychiatrists, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, there's certainly a lot of people who do it, and the, and the work they do is amazing. Yeah. Um, the, other, the other subspecialties are probably cardiac and paediatrics, which is really small or, or unwell kids. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not particularly interested in doing those. I, yeah. I do like the general. You much prefer the general side yeah, of things. Yeah, I like sure. having the variety from day to day. Yeah. Uh, can you comment on your work-life balance and how anaesthetics leads itself to a work-life balance? Yeah. Um, as a consultant, and even as a registrar, anaesthetics is pretty good for work-life life balance. I don't, um, registrars don't work more than 45 hours a week generally um and then as a consultant you can always you can choose the hours you want to work um which is which is really good um Mm -hmm. so i've got a friend who's a first year consultant she doesn't want to work more than two days a week yeah that's what she's doing yeah um and she doesn't sort of from the sounds of things that's her career plan just work two days a week for the rest of her life and she's she's pretty happy with that perfect yeah um i probably want to work a bit more than that so uh when you start out you need to you need to pick up work that hopefully becomes regular work so when you start out the work life the work life balance probably isn't what you'd want yeah because you're just taking what you're given. Uh, yeah, and sometimes sure. that's not very much, yeah. and then you've got heaps of time on your hands, yeah. um, and you can do what you want. Yeah. And sometimes it's you know there might be a few weeks in a row that you you know that you're working pretty hard. Yeah. Um, but eventually, with time, uh, you can set up your lists, get your lists, and uh, have a work workload that's that's what you want. So, given um, that you have lists, does that mean that I guess you've got quite predictable work hours? Uh, for the majority, so no, so for yeah, probably for the slight majority of the time, I know what I'm doing, and yeah. then I've got a lot of because I'm a first year consultant, I've got a lot of time off that gets filled with ad hoc work, so okay. lists or cases that get filled up, yeah. whether it's in hours or after hours, and then yeah, so it's a matter of finding a balance between taking work and. You know, taking work and trying to build up your practice, yeah, um, and not taking work and trying to have a life, uh, which is sometimes difficult. Yeah, I've got a wife who's pretty good at telling me when I've got to cut back a bit. So, yeah. um, which is which is good. It yeah. lets you. Um, Do you have a lot of on call? Uh, yeah. So um, I've chosen to have a bit of on call. So I've just come from an on call. Yeah. Um, that was just a half morning list, but often there's on call at night. Yeah. Um, you don't necessarily have to pick that up. Yeah. Which again is great. It it's um, pretty well. The after hour stuff is pretty well remunerated. So there's plenty of people who want to do it. Yeah. Often not a great deal of pressure for you to take sure. to take on calls. What are your interests outside of medicine, and how do you fit that into, I guess, your life? Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm going to play indoor cricket with some mates now. So um, <laughs> you f- you fit that in. You just find a way to fit it in. Um, I play a bit of sport, so I play a bit of touch footy, uh, basketball and indoor cricket with mates. Um, I like watching sport, so whether that's events yeah. um, uh, and travelling and stuff. So mm-hmm. again, I think 
particular uh, public work lends itself to being able to to do that sort of thing we've got yep. a trip planned next year for six weeks and i just asked the boss if i at, at the northern if i can have some time off and he's like for six weeks and Is that's all that sort of pretty it. easily yeah yeah, yeah it worked out pretty easily nice. and i think that's the benefits of public yeah whereas in private you need to then find cover for you sure. and it's not if you don't work that day you don't get paid for yeah, that rather than your annual leave in, in public is you know you get you get it's it's amazing when you finish you get paid to to have leave it's like when <laughs> it's i finished med school i didn't understand that it's like yeah. how am i getting paid to to take to holidays yeah. yeah um and again i think you just have to make those sacrifices uh which sometimes hard to do like saying no to work yeah um and it's going along with that, how do you prioritise what to say yes to and what to say no to? Like when to say yes to family, when to say yes to work? And yeah, so I look at my... If, if it looks like a jammed week and they've asked for more work that week or maybe the next week, maybe we've got a few weeks that are pretty pretty full on, then I think, you just, I mean, you know, it just depends on your personal circumstances. If if whoever you're living with or what your partner, whatever, isn't that fast and wants you to take, take all the work you want, then go for it yeah, yeah go for it but if you know they you know if they need time with you and you know you just you just find a way I think I think and it takes a little while to figure out what your level is and what you need to be doing what you don't need to be doing but eventually I think you just yeah I don't think it's you particularly it complicated okay like it's just a matter of making decisions uh, two final questions mm-hmm. uh, the first one is um, for people who are interested in anaesthetics, for medical students and junior doctors, how do you get yourself um, either prepared um, to be, uh, I guess, get onto the program? How do you make yourself more, um, uh, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? I've kind of just blanked. What'll make people want to get you on, like, yeah. to choose Yeah, want to get you on. Yeah. How do you get experience in anaesthetics prior to committing to anaesthetics? So, for example, as a medical student, I, yeah. for example, haven't had an anaesthetics term, yeah. so I don't really know what it might be yeah. like. I may get one in my fifth year, may not. Yeah. So how do you how do you get that experience to see whether you like it or not? Yeah, um, well, I think if you don't like dealing with sick patients, uh, so, you know, you try to stay away from the sick patients when you do your ED rotation or whatever... Um, or you don't like going to met calls because it scares you, then I don't think anaesthetics is for you. But if you like that sort of thing and you want to get and, and that's the sort of stuff that you enjoy, then I think it's something that you can you should try to get more exposure to. Again, there's there's some rotations during internship or whatever that, that hospitals might have. Um, again, when you're a surgical intern, you can probably have a chat to the anaesthetist on the other side, depending on what your boss is like in theatre and whether they once you scrubbed or whatever yeah um that's the simple things you can do i honestly believe that a medical year a medical basis is really good for an anesthetic sort of like just as a background knowledge sort of thing for for anesthetic for training yeah um and that means you, you're away from theater and you don't really get much time yeah so if that's the case and you you know you're like ed then i think you're doing a quick care year's really okay. good yeah um and even if you don't like anesthetics when you do that the skills you get are really really good like you learn to bag mass. yeah really yeah. yeah so even if you don't do ed or anything if yeah. you go to do a ward job it means that if someone if there's a code blue you can bag someone until icu and yeah. you can comfortably so they're sort of life-saving their life-saving skills yeah. that, that are really handy 
Um, and then, you know, if you do your quick care, you get exposed to anaesthetics, anaesthetists, the people who employ you on training programs. Did the fact that, um, for example, as an anaesthetist, you kind of have those two touch points with the patient, one right prior um, to the surgery and one post, was that having those two touch points, uh, I guess, a plus for you in the fact that you're not necessarily following up with the patient every day or did that really not Yeah, again, yeah, I I didn't really like ward rounds. Yeah. Um, It's it's kind of nice to be able to see the surgeon and ask how did they go. Yeah. From my point of view, without having to go through the, the whole you know post-op day one two three and yeah sure and some patients are really great but some patients just you know as you know they, they might have every complaint under the world yeah. and under the sun you get that one minute handover and you can feel safe that they've done yeah well. yeah sure. so I, I um i did like that and i don't didn't really like outpatients clinics and that sort of thing so i like being able to just see the patient quickly before and assessing them making a plan without having to to go to clinic and that sort of thing yeah Wonderful. And the last question I have is, what advice would you have wanted to know as an intern or what do you see junior staff doing that you think could be improved with a bit of advice? Hmm. Um, was there a particular point in your internship where you, uh, I guess, had troubles and there was something someone said to you that really helped or resonated with you? Um, I don't know. Well, in terms of... Um, Career choice. Uh, I actually, my cardi. Uh, when I was doing my cardiology job, he was. He, he his wife was an anaesthetist, and yeah. he was and she, and he was saying, oh, he was basically just, just, um, just reinforcing the virtues of having a good lifestyle. Okay. Um. Uh. So, and I'm the sort of guy who likes my lifestyle, so I don't really want to. You know, surgeons. Surgeons will work. 12 hours a day and love it and that's great for them but I wasn't that sort of guy Um, so that's probably in terms of career choice in terms of actual um, work I can't I can't really help you with that bit of a tough question to be put on the spot for yeah (laughs) I don't know that's alright that's alright I think career choice is a um, good piece of advice Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for your time. I hope you win uh, cricket this afternoon. So do I. (laughs) Thanks, mate. No worries. Cheers. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to keep in touch with us through social media. Our handle is at the med collab. That's T-H-E-M-E-D-C-O-L-L-A-B on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our podcast for our weekly release. All right, guys, see you next week.